Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to WI2C Radio. It is good to be back with you tonight. Boy, oh boy, things are just beginning to be off the charts. Things are seriously happening uh, with deals between, uh, well, Iranian sanctions. And now we seem to think that we can put sanctions on individual members in the Iranian government. Absolutely off the charts. We just think we just run the world, and the Americans are none the wiser. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, no doubt about it. The most important things you've ever heard in your life. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Bible, God's holy word, that matters and matters alone. It supersedes all will, all desire, all intentions. Everything. But yes, m- most absolutely ignore every single thing it says. Why, well, you're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Right. 
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of WI2C Radio as we continue our indulgence into Seven Seals of Revelation. Absolutely off the charts. Um, you know, things going on right now that really could get this show on the road. Um, you know, Brian, uh, how's your week been, buddy? And uh, what's your thoughts on our coverage of um, Revelation so far? Well, our coverage thus far is uh, we've gotten the points across that need to be brought through. And, you know, it's like I pointed out, there's still going to be more concerning the timeline stuff that's going to bring this into further clarity in the future. Most certainly. Um, I got another email today from uh, Brent, as a matter of fact, him doing some more work. Just absolutely amazing. Um, just everything uh, that, just everything that's been going on. Um, you know, I read some news today that now we're putting sanctions against individual members of the Iranian government. Just, um, you know, that's a good thing. Um, that doesn't happen in the United States. Um, but it just amazes me that everybody just thinks everything we do is just golden, even though when you really take a look at it, Brian, um, oh my goodness, uh, how many countries are we in right now without uh, proper authorization from Senate and Congress? It's uh, it's 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 absolutely mind-boggling, Brian. And uh, this is real. I I mean, you know, Brian, I've told you in private before. Somebody needs to stop it. And, you know, with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, what are we waiting for? I mean, really honestly, let's let the rubber hit the road. Nearly all of you believe we're waiting on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're about to read things right now uh, that are directly opposite of that. Uh, we're told some things, and actually we're probably going to talk about chapters tonight that nobody's really, ex really expecting us to cover. Because there are, there's a couple of chapters um, in Isaiah you could almost say are exactly what we're getting ready to read. But you can't really see that in the Hebrew. You have to go to the Greek. It's not until you swap out your New Testament for the Delitzsch New Testament that you can really peer down the road where it's going. But this is the singular book that matters, ladies and gentlemen. When it comes to being able to see 
the end from the beginning, you do understand you can only do that in one language or the other. Because God uses a binary code. He's given this the whole thing in Greek and the whole thing in Hebrew. And the Hebrew New Testament come at great cost. It was certified, edited way before the state of Israel ever come into existence. And every Orthodox Jew that has ever been saved was saved through the Delich New Testament exclusively. Exclusively. But it's not until you can see the end from the beginning in either the Hebrew or the Greek, it doesn't matter which one, you're really not going to be able to expand your information as to what God's trying to tell you. And with what we're getting ready to read, the very few short verses we're going to cover, no one understand this. By the time this program's over, you're going to realize that there was entire chapters dedicated to this event. And somehow, someone has pulled the rules over your eyes. They really have. Because the next divine incursion on the timeline is not the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point in the timeline, ladies and gentlemen, right now, he is looking as if a lamb that had been slain. So, with that in mind, um, you can just imagine how some people's faith is going to be rattled when this day happens, because it is coming. And when this day happens, and they realize that no, it was what God said that mattered, and that's why he said it, you're going to have a very difficult time picking your head up. It's going to take you a while to figure out that that glazed-over look that you have as your head is hung low, the pieces around your feet is what's left of your faith. I seriously don't want that to happen to you. I really don't. But you need to realize that this is par none. The most diabolical, the most cunningly devised fable ever that has been fabricated. I mean, we're going to have to cover chapters tonight when God even gives you the mechanism uh, by which he is going to uh, come into your presence. But, alas, alas. Walk up to people tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, in church. I dare you. 
Walk up to them and ask them. Who's going to pay us a visit next? You will quickly come to the realization they don't even realize that he who sits upon the throne has any intention of doing anything. They don't think he's ever going to get involved again. If you ask them, they'll say, yeah, that's all the way at the end. Yeah, when, uh, you know, that happens right there when uh, God recreates everything. Yeah, that's when he comes down. Oh, my goodness, are you in for a whopping surprise? But really, ladies and gentlemen, I challenge you to do that tomorrow morning. I challenge you because they have no clue. And if you've listened to these broadcasts thus far, you realize it, it is not only unimaginable, it is not fathomable how these people could have been deceived that far. But it is the truth. They have been. So with that in mind, uh, Brian, your turn to read, uh, but your opening comments before you even start reading, I guess, if you would like to. Because um, now we're getting into the real full meal deal, Brian. So... The microphone is yours. Well, I think I'll save comments for when we're going through this and just get into it and read. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Probably the most in-your-face verses in the entire book of Revelation. When you get to this part, and, you know, I'm just looking over... The cross-references here, just uh, from the New American Standard Bible, and I see that it comes up a couple of times. And yet today I spent the better part of the day reviewing other people's stuff, looking for hints and clues, and I found absolutely none. And I probably should have expected that. But I don't understand what it is that – how it is that people don't understand the phrase, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. What part of that exactly don't you 
or have you in the past never understood? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, G4383. Um, it really doesn't mean anything outside of a literal translation being in your face. That's that's a appropriate literal translation for this, is in your face. But yet, up until this point, people just break their necks trying to find where it is so far it's said that we're going to get a secret visitation by Jesus. Because so far, uh, that's a farce. So far, any flight of fancy is a complete and utter farce. But what it says here, um, I've heard this before, actually. Uh, I've heard it before a whole lot earlier than this in the Bible. Uh, because this comes up pretty early on in the very first major prophet. I know that word for presence, and it's in Isaiah chapter 2 three times. It's in 10, it's in 19, and it's in 21. And when you read the Greek, uh, then it becomes staggeringly obvious what God is talking about. Um, and as a matter of fact, it reads, it, it's really what we just heard using different Greek words. That's, that's it. It's just a rephrase. That's all it is. I mean, let me, let me read this and I'm going to get, Brian, I want you to just relax your mind, okay? Just listen, Brian. That's all I'm wanting you to do. If listen to this, and when I'm done, you tell me if this didn't sound exactly like we just read, just phrased a different way. But anyway, I probably should tell you uh, where I'm reading from, but all of a sudden I'm provoked not to remind you because you've all been studying Bible prophecy for 20 years, correct? Well, surely you can find it yourself. Uh, seems how... You think that, as of late, you are qualified to send me corrections. So you all must be able to know where this is at. I shall be reading from the Thompson. Now therefore go into the rocks and hide yourselves in the earth from the tremendous presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his majesty when he shall rise to crush the land. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's the exact same Greek word. Exact same thing. No way around it. You just heard the exact same thing said, just in a different way, but I could be wrong. Continuing on. For the eyes of the Lord are lofty, but man is low. And the loftiness of these men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone shall be exalted on that day. 
For the day of the Lord of hosts is against every scorner and haughty man, and against everyone high and lofty, and they shall be humbled, even against every of those high towering cedars of Lebanon, and against every oak of Bashan, and against every lofty mountain, and against every hill that is high, and against every stately tower, and against every high raised wall, and against every ship of the sea, and against every ensign of beauteous ships. Jehovah and every man should be humbled, and the haughtiness of these men shall fall. And the Lord alone shall be exalted on that day. Then they will hide all these handiworks, carrying them into caverns and cliffs of the rocks, and into the caves of the earth, from the tremendous presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his majesty, when he shall arise to crush the land. For on that day men will be cast to the backs of their abominations, both of silver and gold, which they made to worship vanities. That they may go into the halls of the flinty rock, nay, into the very cliffs of the rock, from the tremendous presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his majesty, when he shall rise to crush the land. Brian, your, your thoughts on what I just read. Do you think there's any correlations with what you just read at all? It's the exact same thing with excruciatingly more detail. As a matter of fact, you could say from the Greek I just read that actually um, the sixth seal event is actually a shortened commentary on the very verses, the very verses I just read, because you are absolutely correct. Uh, you were given, I would say, ten times the amount of information that the sixth seal actually gives you. And if you think about it, that's the way it should be. The only thing that we need to be given is a reference to the main body of evidence. Correct. I mean, so Revelation being the last part, it should just have a footnote reference to the main body of data. I mean, isn't that the way it should flow naturally, I would think? I mean, I could be wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know this in the... <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you tear apart the verses I just read in Greek, you know everything. Because he's... He's forcibly letting you know that, oh no, he's going to get up. It says arise, uh, it says his presence. Uh, he goes way out of his way to tell you that he's not sitting down no more. I mean, multiple times, and he even used multiple different phrases in Greek to make it crystal clear to you. This is talking about the Lord God of hosts. And nobody else. 
and he's really in your face letting you know, oh no, uh, I appreciate the simple fact that this was written, uh, given to Elijah to write down for the Lord God of hosts. But if you're thinking this has ever occurred, oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, this ain't never happened before, boys and girls. Not ever. Now, hints and shadow of this has happened before. <laughs> no doubt about it. But this time, the day, this is thing, and he said it, like I said, multiple times. He lets you know, oh no, I'm not going to use another agent Okay? He didn't make any references to using Egypt or Nebuchadnezzar. Or the no, 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 no. He made himself perfectly clear. He's bringing this show down. He's bringing down the house in these verses. <laughs> He's, there's, there's no way around that. He's bringing down the house himself. And he, he said it a couple of times to make sure you know that on this day, by God, everybody goes down. And the only one standing up erect is the Lord God of hosts on this day. So anything is planned out by blueprint on a vertical scale, that puppy's coming down. And if you're haughty or arrogant, you're going to come to a zero-sum game lickety-split. Because the Lord says he's going to arise and everybody else salutes. Everything else goes down. <laughs> That's what he said. And Well, if you're expecting something else when it does happen, like I said, by the time you come to and open up your eyes, you're going to realize that what's around you is the pieces of what faith you had left. And you're going to sit there scratching your head. I mean, do you realize the shock you're going to go through thinking to yourself, why didn't my pastor tell me this was going to happen? Your faith is just going to snap like a twig. And you need to come to grips with this really quick. <laughs> really quick. Brian, um, your thoughts on the verses. Um, give us some of your commentary, please. Well, I mean, it's altogether, you know, pointing out what you were just stating. You know, it's one of the reasons people are told that they don't need to study these things. Well, you're not going to be here, so none of these, none of this matters. la di da da And we go on for days on end, roundabout in circles. But and that was the first little tricksy uh, trick where they caught you. Now... Matthew and I had had a discussion in the background about this when um, the discussion about the day of the Lord. Notice how I said that? There's a reason I said that. Folks, you've been told all along that it is he who sits upon the throne that comes back first. Like Matthew said, to have a look-see. Okay, how does he come back well we're going to get to that 
That's right, because that's the next reference I'm going to read. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get to that, because he comes right out and tells you. He, he don't have a problem with it. He really don't. He, he don't. he don't have a problem with it. But, uh, <laughs> amen to that, Brian. Um, so, uh, further thoughts, I guess, unless you just wanted me to go ahead and read about the mechanism of his return, because he comes right out and says it. He don't, he don't have a problem with saying it. Nope, move into it. That's why I left off there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you'll take note that that word, let me say it one more time so you can write it down, G4383, okay? The literal translation is in your face. Okay, uh, this is how God says he's coming back, and this is what he means, but please understand what Egypt means. Egypt is just a transliteration of dire straits. Do you know what dire straits is? That's what Egypt means. So, yes, sometimes he can say the word Egypt, and other times uh, you just – you don't know if it's referring to a name or <laughs> – or a place, or an event, or a situation, more importantly, that is dire straight. So, but he's he's pretty clear enough here that it doesn't matter anyway. And once again, you all must know where this is from, so there's no point for me to tell you where I'm reading from. A vision concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is seated on a swift cloud, and he will come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence. And the heart of the people shall melt within them. And they shall be stirred up Egyptians against Egyptians. And shall fight brother against brother and neighbor against neighbor and city against city. None against none. And the spirit of the Egyptians shall be troubled within them. And I will dissipate the council. And they will consult their gods and their idols, and them who cause voice to proceed from the ground, namely the belly speakers. And I will deliver Egypt into the hands of men, cruel lords and fierce kings shall have dominion over them. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Let me just take a break there. You need to get a clue what he just said. Okay? And I'll give you a clue. He's getting ready to tell you about events, about, um, well, the Ten Kings. You just heard about them. More importantly, uh, he's going to give you a mechanism as to how everything goes awry. Okay? So that's way later in the book of Revelation, but you need to know that's what he's talking about. Because he's getting ready to tell you about it. The Egyptian drink water even at near the sea. But the river shall foil and be dried up. Oh my goodness, that is so interesting in the Greek. You really should take a look at it, but, well, you probably have, being experts at Bible prophecy for 20 years. Both the streams and the canals of the river shall fail, and every collection of water shall be dried up. Even every vin and reeds and papyrus grow. And all the quick spinning hemorrhage around the river, 
And everything which is sown by the river shall be dried up and withered by the wind. And the fishermen shall mourn. All who cast drags in the river shall mourn, and they shall spread nets. And they who are anglers shall grieve. And the same shall seize them who work the split facts. And them who work up the cotton. They who are employed in such works shall be in sorrow. And they who brew beer shall mourn and be grieved of soul. Now, if you didn't realize that uh, we were just told that, well, the Lord come out and told us that he was going to be riding on the bow of a shockwave. I don't know what else to say to you because that's literally what he just said. <laughs> and let me just hand it over to Brian now that I've I've read it, I guess. Um Brian, back to you. And this is where we go back into we made mention of it. Briefly, last week, uh, look into Paul Aviolette, Galactic Superwave. Okay, they've charted that this has happened a couple of other times, and they have done extensive work to look in the ice cores. What is a galactic superwave? It's an explosion coming out of the galactic core of our solar system. When this explosion happens, when it rips out, it pushes red dust from the universe along with it. This is why we get the description about the sun and the moon being the way that they are. The sun's going to be covered in sackcloth. The moon turns red. We've had this, how many different times does this come up? Now, the whole moon became like blood. Okay, how many cross-references do we have all over the place? Isaiah 13, uh, Joel, Amos, a whole bunch of different ones. You hear this time and time again, but what everybody has turned that into is, well, that has to be an earthquake. Or, I mean, not an earthquake, an eclipse. Yet, how is this description an eclipse, folks? It never has been. It just for some reason they decided to turn blood moons into this specific sign. That's not what the mechanics are talking about here. Well, I'd have to agree with you. I'm going to have to throw my other two cents on worth, though. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand there's such a thing as celestial somology, and you've been lied to about those signs that's over your head. Let me give you a clue. We have, unequivocally, from the ancient documentation, that what you call Sagittarius was never, never, it was never a senator. It was actually... A representation of Nergal. 
Nagar has forever and always been what you know to be the Assyrian cherubim. And you need to know that it is that cherubim that has been set to guard the center of what you call the Milky Way Galaxy. And I'm sorry that you're the last to find that out, but it is the truth, and it's all over the ancient documentation. And you all need to know this, too. Uh, the sign of the cherub that guards the way of the east, uh, you need to understand that that bow is also a representation of the bow of the Milky Way itself. And you need to know that this has everything to do with which when God uh, reorientated the planet after the flood of Noah. And it's amazing how I can talk with Assyrianologists, um, you know, Egyptologists about this, and they all, they all know. And you all think it's pretty funny. Uh, that um, the dumbest educated people here in the past 50 years have been those people that walk around claiming to be uh, claiming to have a theology degree. They're historically as dumb as a box of rocks. And uh, that's a fact. Um, <laughs> but you all do need to know that. Uh, that uh, there's a reason why God just talked about after his return, well, the waters are going to be dried up, and he went to great lengths to give you encoded messages there to make sure that, wow, there's all kinds of information there. But I guess all of you know it anyway. I guess I'm just uh, giving you a refresher course on these things, I guess. But there's a fantastic amount of information in here as how how he exactly uh, dries up and makes way for those uh, kings of the east. How he uses uh, those kings to create this chaos he just told you about. So, really, the verses we just read gave you a whole lot more insight into other things that's coming that you need to watch for and look for. Uh, because this is going to be the single greatest event that has occurred in the timeline since <laughs> he did this before. which cost the lives of every living thing except eight. Now, wow. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> what a very few short verses um, that we haven't even really begun to tear apart yet. I mean, really, uh, we just covered uh, a very short portion 
just some ideas from this. I mean, so far, everything I've covered has just been about one word, making sure that all of you know, oh, he's talking about uh, he who sitteth upon the throne. Uh, that's the Lord God of hosts. That's not Jesus. And uh, he just told you that you're going to meet him. You're going to meet him. And, you know, here's what y'all can do. You all need to see, send me dissertations on where it says there's a secret return of Christ. I mean, you realize, with the verses that I read, the very first chapter, or the, the last chapter I read, verse 1, he made sure that you were able to understand what was going to be the machination Right there in verse 14, the sky was split apart like a scroll. That's why he used the same wordage to describe what he's writing. So, now, let's, let's go to review. Now we know why everybody was running around like chickens with their heads cut off when those martyrs at the altar started questioning God. And he who sitteth upon the throne did not respond. Well, now you know why. Now we know why earlier, earlier, it gives you this strange thing that this voice came from the midst of the cherubim. Oh, no, 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 no. I know it's in the midst of the cherubim or the living creatures because they're not cherubim because, well... The reconciliation of Christ has occurred in creation. But all of you do run around and still say that they're cherubim. No, they're living beings. They've been reconciled. But that's for another day. The only thing that is in their midst is he who sitteth upon the throne. Yet we get this strange verse that says, well, just this random voice came from the midst of the four living beings. Now you know why. You should have expected it coming. And now these verses here, you know, verse 15, where they go in the, the rocks and the mountains, and now you know that was just one verse that was just a footnote back to the prior chapter written by Isaiah. Now, Oh my goodness, we haven't even talked about, uh, wow. Brian, we're not done with these verses, but I'm not sure about which verse you want to talk about next, so the floor is yours, I guess. Because, oh my goodness, we have, we have kings, we have mountains, islands, we have, uh, oh my goodness, figs, uh, oh my goodness, um, so, you've got the floor. What do you want to talk about next? Well, I mean, that's just it. This is... Yeah, I pointed this out on the last program. Folks, you're not going to be able to tell time after this um, for those that are making your timelines and trying to slot things into specific dates once you get uh, the sixth seal stop. 
there's no point here. Um, why do I say this? Look at Isaiah 24. Okay, the earth is going to be reeling to and fro. Okay, the earth has been kicked off its axis at this point. The mountains are brought low. The valleys brought high. And, oh, by the way, go out and take a look at mountains and reconcile that in your mind because you can see how it happened the first time around. It's rather obvious. Uh, let me think here. What is it? I believe it's the Himalayas are the most most obvious mountain uh, mountainous region on the planet where it becomes real crystal clear that they happen from a reverse process. <clears throat> And for some reason, what I was going to say next, my mind went blank. So I guess I'm supposed to stop right there. Well, I guess the next obvious thing to bring up is the uh, fig tree. Because, I mean, we can't get around without talking about this. And <laughs> Matthew 24, of course, right? Everybody's favorite chapter, I think, that studies eschatology. Uh, because after his diatribe, of course, he gives the parable of the fig tree. You know, Brian, how many people have you... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you have even studied figs? even considered you know the figs that grow there you do know that the only way they can be pollinated is by the capri wasp right because the seeds are inside of them it amazes me how people don't realize that Christ was giving you an example of the fig tree for a reason But, ladies and gentlemen, he just came out and told you that the host of heaven are going to fall. And with that in mind, that really ramps things up. And let's, let's talk about the shock of that, Brian. You know, most people have never witnessed the supernatural, have they, Brian? I mean, probably, I don't know, what would you say? Maybe 1% of the population has witnessed supernatural things? Or would you say more than that? Yeah, I'm probably not the best one to give figures concerning that. Remember, my past, I hung around with people that that's all that was going on. So I'm probably not the best person for statistics on something like that. Well, yeah, that that was your entire world. You hung out with those people, but <laughs> there was a lot more people than that in the county where you were living. So at any rate, it's probably a pretty small proportion. But Brian, why don't you why don't you describe what you think's going to happen when they come face to face with these bad boys? What do you think is going to be the reaction? I'd say that it's not going to be pretty is a bit of an understatement. Then, folks, 
you don't want to face off with an angel. That's all there is to it. You know, and all, all these uh, weirdo groups that have gotten going in all these churches now that seem to be getting into seeing angels everywhere. And look, there's an orb when it's literally just a um, dust particle being caught by light. Oh, that's an angel in it. Folks, trust me. Not something you want to play around with. You know, there's something I wanted to mention. You talked about... um, The Himalayas is the most obvious how they were (laughs) formed. Um, Wow, that's an understatement. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord God just told you... That... Don't you... Maybe I should just come out like I do my children. You need to understand that he just told you an event describing through the waterways being dried up and the mountains and the islands. That can only mean one thing, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Your planet is getting ready to change dimensions. And I hope you all understand the very, very fine line between being an adhesive and a cohesive. And you better understand what, how that relates to water. You probably should study up on your physical geology. You need to understand that's one of the most important things in all of creation as far as law is concerned. Because as far as water is concerned, the difference between adhesion and cohesion is life itself. I'm sure you all remember the verses shortly after 20 years of Bible study. You all remember God saying that the water could come here and no further. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with the waterways, all the information he just gave us, what Brian described that the geologists have known for generations now, actually. They've known this for, since the 1700s. Um, you need to know that that process is going in reverse. Now, Brian mentioned Isaiah 24. You need to all have a serious look at that. And, and not in English. Not in English. Um... But you need to realize that he just said that the only thing that can explain what he just said is that the earth itself is going to stand up. That means one thing for sure. But geologically speaking, the only thing that could describe the waterways, the mountains, and the islands is one thing. The earth is going to expand. It's going to get bigger. Now, when that happens, if he don't do something else, it's endgame. Because, well, our belt will no longer be around our waist, metaphorically speaking. So if he don't do something else, you, and not just you, Lottie Dottie, everybody and every living thing, 
he'll die if he don't do something else at the same time that he does this. But I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in the geology department going over the very verses I read to you. And we weren't using English manuscripts. We were using Greek. And I and two other professors figured out very quickly, oh my god, the earth is going to expand in size. That's the only thing that would create this. Yeah, well, you figure it out. You will. Because everything that come out of his mouth, that's what he's going to do, but you're expecting something else. Well, you need to think about What's going to happen if what you've put all your faith in is really just a fantasy? Because you need to prepare your mind for, for what's, what's real, what's true. So we're going to take uh, seven minutes and 47 seconds as my daughter brings us up to speed. On what is to come. Isaiah chapter 2. For in the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be conspicuous, and the house of God will be on the top of the mountain, and exalted above the hills. Therefore, all the nations will come to it. Many nations indeed will go, saying, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. In the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his way, and we will walk therein. For from Zion shall come forth a law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge among the nations, and work conviction in many a people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And the nations shall not lift up a sword against nations, nor shall they learn war any more. Now therefore, O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk into the light of the Lord, for he hath abandoned his people in the house of Israel. Saith the Lord, because the land was filled at first with divinations like that of the Philistines, and many strange children were born to them. For their country was filled with silver and gold, and there was no counting their treasures. And their land was filled with horses, and there was no end to their chariots. And the land was filled with abominations and the workmanship of their own hands. And they worshipped the things which their fingers had made. And the commoner bowed down, and the noble humbled himself. Therefore I will not forgive them. Now therefore, go into the rock, and hide yourself in the earth, from the tremendous presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his majesty. And he shall rise and crush the land. For the eyes of the Lord are lofty, and the man is low. And the loftiness of these men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts is against every scorner and haughty man, and against every one high and lofty, and they shall be humbled, even against every one of those high towering cedars in Lebanon, and against every oak of the sand, and against every lofty mountain, and against every hill that is high, and against every Satan tower, and against every high raised wall and against every ship of the sea, and against every incense of Bodia's ships. And every man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of these men shall fail. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. 
Then they will hide all these handiworks, carrying them into caverns and clefts and, uh, into the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the tremendous presence of the Lord and from the glory of his majesty when he shall arise to crush the land. From that day, men will cast to the bats their abominations, both of silver and gold, which they made to worship the vanity, that they may go into the holes of flinty rock, nay, into the very clefts of the rock, in the tremendous presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his majesty, when he shall arise to crush the land. Isaiah chapter 19 Behold, the Lord is seated on a swift cloud, and he will come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the hearts of the people shall melt within them. And they shall be stirred up, Egyptians against Egyptians, and they shall fight, brother against brother, and neighbor against neighbor, city against city, and gnome against gnome. And the spirit of the Egyptians shall be troubled within them, and I will dissipate their counsel, and they will consult their gods and their idols, and them who cause a voice to proceed from the ground, namely the trans speakers. And I will deliver Egypt into the hands of men, cruel lords and fierce kings, shall have dominance over them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the Egyptians drink water, even that near the sea, but the never but the river shall fail and be dried up. Both the streams and channels of the river shall fail, and every collection of water shall be dried up, even every sun where the reeds and papyruses grow, and all the quick springing herbage which is round the river, and everything which is sown by the river shall be dried up and withered by the wind. And the fishermen shall mourn, all who cast drags in the river shall mourn, and they who spread nets they who are anglers shall grieve, and the shame shall seize them who work on the split flax, and them who work upon the cotton. And they who are employed into such works shall be in sorrow, and they who brew beer shall mourn and be grieved in soul. And the princes of Tanish shall be fools, and those wise counselors of the king. The counsels shall be turned into fools. How can you say to the king, We are sons of wise men, son of ancient kings? Where are now these wise men of thine? Let them tell thee publicly and declare what the Lord of hosts hath determined against Egypt. The princes of Tanis have failed, and the princes of the Nephines are exalted, and they will lead Egypt astray, tribe by tribe. For the Lord hath mingled them a spirit of error, and they will with all their works have made Egypt real as a drunkard when he is vomiting. And so that there shall be no work among the Egyptians of which one can make head or tail, beginning or end. And in the day the Egyptians shall be like women in fear, trembling because of the hand of the Lord of the hosts, which he lay on them. And the country of the Jews will be in terror, and the Egyptians, when anyone shall mention them, they will be in terror because of the counsel which the Lord of hosts hath determined against it. And in that day there shall be five cities which Egypt, which shall speak the language of Canaan, and swear by the name of the Lord of hosts. And one of them shall be called the city of Aztec. In that day there shall be an altar for the Lord in the city of the Egyptians, 
and in its boundary a pillar for the Lord. And it shall be an everlasting sign for the Lord in the country of Egypt, because they will cry to the Lord on account of their oppressors, their force. He will send them a man who will save them. He will vindicate their cause and deliver them. And the Lord will be made known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will acknowledge the Lord in that day and offer sacrifices and make vows to the Lord and perform them. Thus the Lord will smite the Egyptians and heal them, and they shall be turned to the Lord, and he will hearken them and heal them. And in that day, this will be the highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come to Egypt, and the Egyptians to Assyria. And the Egyptians shall serve the Assyrians. And in that day, Israel shall be third among the Egyptians and among the Assyrians, blessed in the land, which the Lord of hosts hath blessed, saying, Blessed are the people of which Egypt and Assyria and Israel, which is mine inheritance. Good stuff from my youngest. That's good stuff. She was reading from the Thompson. Well, Brian, your thoughts so far on, wow, we, we haven't even read very much. We haven't even covered very much. I mean, we could certainly, if we wanted to give the full mobile deal, uh, read Isaiah chapter 24, which is exclusively about everything that the sixth seal is. I mean... It is basically yet another original data set uh, for this. Um, this sixth seal event is really a footnote to uh, not only the chapters that I've read, but uh, Isaiah chapter 24. And it comes out and says, oh my goodness... Um, Anyway, Brian, your your thoughts. We may just I'm gonna sit here and gnaw on it, and maybe we'll just go ahead and read Isaiah 24 as well, because it really is in chapter form. The sixth seal is what it is. The whole chapter is the sixth seal. But uh, your turn, I guess. Well, I mean, I just wanted to reiterate. You know, as I stated, once we come to that sixth seal event, folks, your timelines, you might as well stop. You know, we have between the 1335 and 1290s represented by 45 days. We have it represented as 10 days elsewhere. You get basically no concrete way of reading time. Now, Recall what I said about this galactic superwave when this red dust comes in and covers everything up. I mean, folks, there is just a documentation upon documentation from ancient legends all throughout the world, even including the infamous Mayans, about when these events have happened before, and they can't see the sky. They can't see when the sun rises or it sets, the moon rises, none of it. They can't tell time at all when these events happened in previous eras. 
so all of a sudden that changes everything. For instance, you know, I love everybody uses Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Everybody's starting to understand why now. You see, it kind of changes everything, doesn't it? I say we go ahead and re- you know what? Let me let me go ahead and back you up, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, open your open your eyes and open your ears. Let's go ahead and read from Matthew twenty-four with the backdrop of everything that Brian just said, because that's what he's getting ready to come way out of his way to tell you. Now learn this parable from the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know summer is near. So, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near. Now, let's pause. He did not say, I am near. That is not what he said. I'm sitting here looking at it in the Greek. No, that's not what he said. This is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, He who sitteth upon the throne is near. That's what he said. Continuing on. When you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly I say to you, This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. How else will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Here, he's referring to himself and what he just said. Now, he gives you understanding. If you would just look and listen. But of that day and hour No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Well, that's the same Greek verbiage that he used repeatedly in the Septuagint verses that I read to you, making perfectly clear that you understand that he alone can even comprehend time when he does this thing. But, let's go on. For the coming of the Son of of Man will be just like the days of Noah. What part of that don't you understand? Okay. Okay. He's going to give us some examples of how you're going to be acting. But, ladies and gentlemen, he is obviously and overtly trying to tell you, you cannot understand the days or the hours. Let me explain that to you. There are 365 days you understand right now. There are 24 hours that you understand right now. And the Son of God just told you that on this day, no one's going to have a clue. Not even the Son, nor the angels, 
They do not have a clue as to how to calculate a day or hour. And that's what just came out of his mouth. But I know that contradicts your programming. That's beside the point. Continuing on. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. <laughs> then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day our Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. And would have allowed this to, his house to be broken into. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand this was never written in English. Ladies and gentlemen, it was never written in English. He just come out and told you that when this day happens, neither the day nor the hour is going to be able to be calculated. <laughs> and it's not until this day is completed after these days of Noah, we're going to go to a different time that the day and the hour of the Son of Man's return can be calculated. But unless you read it in Greek, you can't read it at all. But I pointed out to you different things. Now, I am reading from the New American Standard Bible. I'm not using anything that's foreign to you or anything else. But I pointed out to you clearly That Jesus himself said, it's when these things begin to happen that you need to recognize that he is near. He is not talking about himself until after the event that literally changes time itself. Let me, let me give some clarity, okay? I know a lot of you out there aren't. don't understand why we say that there's 365 days in a year. Um, there's a lot of you that probably really don't understand. You know, They just probably made up 24 and divided from noon to noon into 24 common increments. So let me change gears. Let me downshift a few gears as we go around this corner. You need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that we are a certain distance from the sun. And the time it takes us to go one complete circle around the sun, that is a year. That's what a year is. The number of days in that year is determined by how many times the earth makes one complete circle. 
in its spin. Imagine the Earth as a clock. You know that the numbers on the clock go from 12, and then they go all the way around the clock back to 12. Count that as one. That's how we spin, ladies and gentlemen. That's what determines the day and the hour. You need to understand this. Let's talk about days for a minute. The only thing that makes that constant is two things. How fast we're going through the heavens. It's called our orbital velocity. It's how fast we're going. If you slow that down or speed it up immediately, there's going to either be more days in the year or less days in the year. Another way you can change that is by changing your orbital distance from the sun. If you move closer to the sun, yet you maintain the same orbital velocity, okay, you're going to get a whole lot fewer days. So there's two variables involved with what determines the days in a year. Now let's talk about how it works the exact same way. If – look at the face of the clock. If the face of the clock gets bigger or we grow bigger as a sphere, immediately – There will either be more day, more hours in a day or less hours in a day. Okay? If the clock face maintains the same size, let's say it does. If you change its revolutions per hour, we're going to spin faster or slower. So you see in all actuality, these two variables are exactly the same. If you look at the Earth on a clock face and the center of that clock face is the core of our planet, it works the same way if you put the sun in the center of it and make the outside of the clock face our orbital path around the sun. So we have four variables here that are incredibly detrimental to time. Now, with that being said, the Lord Jesus Christ just told you that the only one who can calculate that set of, var of variables, and he does so just at a whim, because you need to understand that he needs to keep the tolerances within this very, very small window of life that we have. Let me explain it to you. It's common knowledge. It's been common knowledge in astrophysics for decades now. If we move 2% closer to the sun, we burn. It's game over. Just 2% closer, this entire planet becomes a desert. If we move just 2% farther away, guess what? That's right. We all freeze. So we astrophysicists already know 
that this is the window of life, plus or minus 2%. That's it. Now, please understand that this has everything to do with, well, let's talk about the laws of conservation of energy, the laws of entropy. You know that you, where you're at right now, you have some temperature differentials. There's a minimum and a maximum per day. You can go to the uh, uh, weather sites and see what your high and your low is for the day. That is determined on how slowly the earth is turning. Do you understand? Now, please understand that under these exact same circumstances, if the earth becomes bigger, you're going to get a whole lot colder at night. It will lower your overall temperature. If that temperature is lowered past the critical mass, God can compensate by just moving a little, us a little bit closer to the sun and maintain that 2% balance. Astrophysicists can get together with geologists and tell you that, oh my God, nothing had better happen. Because you're literally talking about trillions of calculations that are only plus or minus thousands in parts. Okay, ladies and gentlemen? So, you have to realize that all geologists know that uh, what dynamics must have been in place for there to be total cloud cover before the flood. They know that. You ask them and they'll say, yeah, it wasn't raining. It must have been God was using the mechanism of dew to water everything because you would never see the sun. It was a perfect climate. There's only one thing that would cause that, and I'm not going to mention it. But you just need to know that, yeah, the geologists know that. So with all this in mind... You need to understand that even the angels are not capable of maintaining that that window of life. There's too many variables. Only God knows that, well, yes, I can move them farther away, and if I move them farther away from the sun, then there is a certain calculation that I will have to reduce their size. I'll have to make the earth smaller and slow down its spin so that the difference between the night and the day, there's a right amount of time so that it can warm up enough to not create an ice age. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about the day after tomorrow movie. When I'm talking about an ice age, you need to look over at your brother uh, Mars. That's the type of temperature you're talking about. You're, you have no hope. And you just need to realize that that's the dynamic involved here. And the window of life is extremely small, but it's extremely treacherous 
because of all the variables that I just told you about. There's only one person that has that mechanical knowledge of if the Earth is this far away, what must its orbital speed be and its revolutions per minute? If I move it this much closer, what does it need to be? The only one who knows that is he who sitteth upon the throne. Nobody else knows it. <laughs> you think a supercomputer is pretty neat, right? Well, you need to sit down with an astrophysicist that is a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian, then find you a geologist that's a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian, and they can do the calculations outward of about, it'll take about two years for them to complete this task, for them to turn around and tell you, no, sorry, a supercomputer won't do it. The balance of life is worse than a spinning top. I mean, you don't understand. You change one thing and it, and we're done. You change one thing and all the dominoes come falling down. Brian, back to you for a minute. Well, and I mean, just to further reiterate this, uh, Zechariah 14, yeah, I, I've had so many discussions with people concerning Matthew 24 when they throw out, well, the no man knows the day nor the hour, and I say, oh, you mean uh, Zechariah 14. They just look at me. Uh, you didn't realize that was there, folks? Let's read it up to that spot. Because you're going to hear some things here that you already heard before. As a matter of fact, we kind of explained one of them. Starting at uh, verse 1, going down to verse 7. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. The house is plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west and by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the great days, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. In that day, there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. That's right. 
You realize what he just said? I mean, ladies and gentlemen. He just came right out and gave you some parameters that, well, if you give them to an astrophysicist, they can actually produce results from you with what he just said. And it, but yet it blows me away. It, it blows me away that everybody thinks that uh, there's going to be a secret return of Christ next. When Christ himself said, by the way, when these things happen, you better get a clue that he is on his way. And that's a scary thing. I mean, that is truly a scary thing. You know, Brian, I've read a bunch. You want to read Isaiah 24 for us? Yep, give me a minute. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to hear lots of the things that, well, like I said, this this is the sixth seal. And he's going to talk about those figs, too. And he's also going to talk about, well, everything. And I don't think we have time to talk to to tear this apart in the Hebrew or the Greek because both is just a monumental task. Um, the Hebrew uses, I mean, right from the first verse, he uses extra valves to get your attention to point you other places, and it's just it's just off the charts what he says here. It's literally off the charts, but um, ladies and gentlemen, there's there's no reason why you shouldn't go ahead and say that uh, these twenty three verses are the original strata of data once again. So this makes the third chapter that you know. We've covered tonight that is the corpus that the sixth seal was dictated from. So, Brian, you got it handy? Yep. All right. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste. Devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, and the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants. For they have transgressed laws, violated statues, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and a few men are left. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh. The gaiety of tambourines cease, 
The noise of the revelers stop. The gaiety of the harps ceases. They do not drink wine with strong, with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of Cass is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no one may enter. There's an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All joy turns to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city and the gate is battered to ruins. For thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the people. As the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings when the grape harvest is over. They raise their voices, they shout for joy, they cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. But I say, woe to me, woe to me, alas for me, the treacherous deals treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that the one who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows above are open, and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard, and it totters like a shack. For its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. The Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in, in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. Ladies and gentlemen, you just got, wow, really, uh, you just got the sixth seal event expanded out into 23 verses, is basically what you got. There's other things here that we should consider that he's mentioned a couple of times. And I strongly suggest that you all look into these things that he's mentioned a couple of times now so you'll be able to see what may be at play here. But just take note that it keeps talking about, well, gaiety. It keeps mentioning wine. People are no longer going to, uh, you know, celebrate, drink wine. But he may be talking about something else altogether differently. Consider this, ladies and gentlemen. Can alcohol go bad? Do you know what wine is? Is something going to be wrong with vibration frequencies?
is it encoded in the chapters that we've read so far that uh, something is seriously going to be wrong with the laws of physics? Let me give you an example. We all know standard data. How many BTUs it takes one gallon of water to boil and the time it takes that one gallon of water to boil. Encoded here in the Greek in the chapters that we've read tonight, you can plainly see that God is making references that that's not going to be the case. Let me explain. How many physicists do you know that thinks to, hey, let's do this the old-fashioned way. Let's get us uh, an old-fashioned mercury thermometer and one exact gallon of water and let's use, uh, you know, electric burners and calculate the amps going through that burner and let's see if it really does take that much time to bring this one gallon of water to a boil. More importantly, after we've done so, let's clock the time that it takes it to get back to room temperature. You understand, of course, that those are constants. Or they're supposed to be. So, ladies and gentlemen, there's a whole lot more information that you've probably missed by mistake because you've had the wool pulled over your eyes that Jesus was secretly going to come back next when, oh no, <laughs> that's not what. Not what was spoken of at all. Not what was spoken at all. And here, of course, we have a chapter break. From here, we, of course, go to chapter 7. And all of a sudden, we're given a pause. Now, there must be a fantastic amount of information because this six-seal event, you do realize that it encompasses <laughs> – this is absolutely amazing, ladies and gentlemen. It encompasses verses 12 through 17 of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7. And you need to realize that, well... We've just lost our ability to calculate time. 
Christ explained it and warned about it. About what happens upon his arrival. Not Jesus' arrival, no. He was referring to he that sitteth upon the throne. And now it comes right out to stark contrast. Well, wait a minute. Chapter 7 should be the seventh seal. No, it's not. No, that's not till chapter 8. We've got some problems. We've got mechanical problems now. And I got a feeling he's getting ready to, uh, well, really give us some answers here. Because I know the answer I'm waiting for. I'm still waiting for those that are at the altar to get their answer. I'm not worried about what I'm expecting to come next. I'm worried about those at the altar, just like everybody else was worried. Do we need to read that again, what was happening in heaven? Everybody running around like chickens with their head cut off? Trying to appease them? Please don't ask that question again. <laughs> i got a feeling that's what this is all about. That's what I got a feeling it is. Brian, your your thoughts about well, why is there a whole chapter in between the sixth and seventh seals? Why would you think that would be? Uh, there wasn't a whole chapter between I don't know the sixth and seventh church. What's your thoughts on it? Well, you sort of just kind of explained it. Um, I mean, let's see here. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren who were to be killed, even as they had, would be completed also, no, wait a minute, until the number <laughs> of their fellow servants. Now, what happens in the next chapter, folks? Right away at the beginning, all of a sudden, we seem to get, oh, yeah. Hmm. 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. I wonder if that has something to do with that. And I mean, let's see here on top of it, Isaiah 24, didn't we get warned about the treacherous one? Uh, Zechariah 14, didn't it say something about the women being yep. ravished? Yep. Matthew 24 yep. doesn't talk about the well unto mothers. Yeah, pregnant women. 
Yes, it does. Well, we're we're only down to 15 minutes. And... I don't know. Do you want to... Do you want to continue on, Brian, or do you think we ought to stop this one right here? Because, well, just the next three verses is quite a mouthful. I mean, in Revelation chapter 7, 1 through 3, um, that's a mouthful in of itself. And you know... Everybody needs to also think about this. Um, At this point on the timeline, you know, how much death has come to pass so far? I mean, Brian, we, we didn't talk about this a whole lot, but the fourth seal... Ladies and gentlemen, um, just because Brian and I didn't bring it up, uh, you do all realize what it says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. I mean, do you not realize... Before the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne, those writers are going to kill 1.75 billion. I said B. Ladies and gentlemen, Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, is worth the lives of 1.75 billion people on the face of this planet. And you're going to witness it. You're going to be a part of it. Just like the children of Israel, I'm hoping you're nothing more than a spectator. Because all the chapters we read, God made himself perfectly clear what he thinks about the Egyptians. And that's where you're at. Right now, the entire entire planet. You're in Egypt right now, but you're supposed to be acting and living like one whom God has straightened. So, you're going to be there, no doubt about that. The question is, are you going to be taking part in these events or just being a spectator of them? I mean, we can use the Colosseum. Surely all all you understand that. Everybody's at the Coliseum. Everybody. But the spectators don't get hurt. It's just the people down in the arena that gets hurt. I mean, it's just like going to uh, a symphony. Everybody's at the 
they're physically at the symphony. But that doesn't mean everybody is playing instruments. Now, I don't know how many of the Egyptians died throughout the course of the ten plagues. But I do know this. The Lord my God was not playing numbers with me. He really wasn't. And when he said a fourth of the earth, right now we're at 7 billion. So you're talking about 1.75 billion people are going to fall under the stampede of the writers. So... Ladies and gentlemen, you, you really do need to get your work on getting your garment spotless. You know, funny thing was do not damage the oil and the wine. You know, the viscosity of oil is really important. But I wonder how many of you just ignored that and thought that, no, physics don't have anything to do with that. Surely nothing can hurt wine or alcohol, right? Ladies and gentlemen, Revelation chapter 7 starts out with, it uses prophetic language that I used, scientific language, to describe to you life's little bitty window in the heavens. It's very small. Depended upon our diameter, the diameter of our orbit around the sun, how fast we spin, how fast we fly around the sun. And he's about ready to talk about things that, well, would make a scientist nervous. In light of everything else he said, you know, one thing's for sure, we don't have enough time to cover it and we're not going to, but I do know this, I do know how Revelation chapter 8 starts, silence in heaven. Lord have mercy. Just in preparation for the next WITC radio, ladies and gentlemen, which is probably going to be on Thursday, you need to wrap your your mind around this, that now that we're past the sixth trumpet, or the, the sixth seal, there's no calculating time. 
all the variables required for doing that, God's just described in multiple chapters across multiple books of the Bible that all of that's going to be altered because he's so mad. And you know what? What group was it that did it, do you think, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, what is the most recent slaughter that we've had? Oh, yes. Assyrian Christians, am I right there, Bri? Wasn't that uh, Isis's target number one in Syria, if I remember correctly, right? Yep. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you you need to figure it out. Because that's what we're waiting for. Eventually, a group of martyrs gets to the altar in heaven, and, you know, they're like, hey! I mean, why has Stephen been quiet all this time at the altar? Why? Well, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, and you better take this to the bank. Them Assyrian Christians, uh, they didn't believe how you believe. No, 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 no. They knew there was no such thing as a flight of fancy. But of course we Americans don't care, do we? Do we spend, send in special forces to rescue those Christians? Well, heck no, man. We bombed their hospitals, and I think the last target we acquired was a school, if I remember correctly. Of course, it upsets me so much I just don't watch it anymore, but man, it got to the point where Doctors Without Borders won't even go because of American bombers. But you don't have to worry about the hospitals or really the schools. That's what you not, what you never should have worried about. You should have worried about Christians being martyred. Because eventually, a group is going to come before the Lord God of hosts, and they're going to cry out. And when they do cry out, he's going to rattle your cage. He don't care whose jersey that you wear on the Super Bowl. You don't care about what he cares about. And I'm here to tell you, there were no Assyrian Christians that believed in the rapture? (laughs) Sorry. You know, the Coptic Christians... There was a Coptic church that was hit here of late. Now, it wasn't a mass slaughter of Coptics, but it was one church. No, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. You can't deceive them with that crap. They'll, they'll actually laugh at you. They'll say you're delusional. There is no... The Bible never talks about any secret return of Christ. I mean, they know the chapters that I read to you. They know those by heart. Just so you know. So that's what should really be getting your attention is sooner or later, 
somebody's going to target a mass group of individuals, and you want to know what? You better get a clue, because guess who else knows that? <laughs> He's called the false prophet. And you're a literal buffoon if you don't know that he knows that. But behold, the Lord did say this one thing, that the Assyrian was an axe in his hand. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We've proved beyond any shadow of a doubt what's going on thus far in Revelation. If you'd like to publicly debate me or challenge me, go ahead, man. Send me an invite. We'll do the whole entire thing in Hebrew or Greek. I'll let you pick which one. I won't even speak in English. And I'll do my best to teach you everything that that false prophet already knows. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, we have an entire chapter to cover before we get to the seventh seal. So, read up on it. Now listen, throw your commentaries in the trash and all that garbage. Just read it. Look into just the Greek. I haven't been too difficult during this series. I haven't talked too much about the Hebrew. I've just kept it to the Greek. You can go right to your library and get everything you need. Of course, you can get everything free online. I suggest you do that quickly. Because now at least you know what to be worried about. Now at least you know what to write your senators and Congress about. Next time you catch wind that some group of Christians is being targeted, uh, you need to jerk their chain and say, hey, we need some of those, you know, stealth fighters to go protect them. Well, that's where we need to send our special forces, not into Somalia, okay? We don't need to grab the poppy fields, okay? Even though it's hit mainstream news sources of our generals, Standing in poppy fields while soldiers guard them. No, no, no. You don't need to worry about the poppy fields, ladies and gentlemen. You had better, by God, be worrying about any group of Christians being targeted. That's what you better be worrying about because that's who's – that's what everything's dependent upon. Brian, your websites and contact information, please. You can find me on Twitter on Twitter at Overt Attention. Uh, my email is thebandsoftime at gmail.com, and you can find me at overtattentionshow.com for my website. Thanks for joining us. God bless. As for me... You know what? If you need to get a hold of me, the Holy Spirit will get you in contact. 
Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. God bless. Godspeed. <laughs>